Chapter 21 of Loafing Along Death Valley Trails by William Carruthers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Roads Crackerbox Signs. Any resemblance that a Death Valley highway bore to a road was a coincidence prior to 1926, and few tourists traveled over them unless two cars were along. Just follow the wheel tracks and keep your eyes peeled for the crackerbox signs along the road was the usual advice to the novice who didn't know that tracks left by mormon wagons nearly a century before may be seen today one of these led me to the bank of a mile-wide gash made by cloudbursts to locate the missing link i climbed the nearest mountain and on a lonely mesa came at last upon a piece of shook nailed to a stake and stuck into the ground but it had nothing to do with roads a crude inscription read montana jim july eighteen eighty eight a damn good pal reverently i stepped aside never again would i see a finer tribute to a man a few rocks bleached white in the sun outlined a sunken grave crossed upon it were jim's pick and shovel it was not difficult to recreate what had happened there jim and his friend looking for gold jim's faltering and the sun beating him down jim's partner knowing that jim's moniker would identify him better than a surname to anyone who passed that way interested in jim out in the desert a hundred miles from human habitation he couldn't call an undertaker so he dug a hole wrapped jim in his canvas rolled him in and hoped that god would reach down for jim at that period it was not an uncommon experience for the early tourist to lose his way by doing the natural thing at a crossroads and take the one which showed the sign of most travel often he would find later that he had followed a trail to a mine miles away often too it led to disaster the story of roads begins at shoshone with brown in his trips in and around the valley he erected signs to prevent the traveler from losing his way and his life i would like to see death valley country people would say to him but everyone tells me to stay out inyo county had little revenue and that was used in the more populous owens valley a hundred and fifty miles west the east side the shoshone area was totally neglected letters and petitions protesting the unfair distribution of county funds were tossed into the wastebasket roads in that cauldron who would use em nobody ever goes there but a few old prospectors this was true but it was also true that on owens valley's west side the lakes and forests of the high sierra were attracting a paying crop of vacationists and the supervisors knew it would be political suicide to divert this traffic from its towns and resorts the county-wide opinion as to chance for relief was expressed in the slang of the day by a loafer on the bench at shoshone about as much as a wax mouse would have against an asbestos cat in a race through hell they have the votes and elect the supervisors the east side had never had a member on the board in the shoshone precinct were less than forty voters in death valley a few prospectors who would have battered down the gates of hell if they thought gold lay beyond poked around in its canyons a few indians a few workmen for the borax company in nineteen twenty four brown put his suitcase in his car filled the tank and said to those about fellas i'm running for supervisor you'll be the mouse quipped a friend i'll let him know somebody lives over here anyway 
Skirting the urban strongholds of the gentlemen in office, Brown knocked at every door in the district. He berated none, nor claimed he had all the answers to an obviously difficult problem. Roads built there will lead here. Everybody will win. Then to the next cabin and the next canyon, until he'd seen every voter. Before the opposition knew he had been around, he was back in Shoshone, selling bacon and beans. When the votes were counted, the overlords of the west side gasped. Who the hell's this Brown? Didn't even know he was running. Taking office January 1st, 1925, he found that the beaten incumbent had spent all the money allocated for road maintenance in his own bailiwick before retiring. Nevertheless, Brown convinced the new board his election proved that the people of the entire county agreed with him that the Death Valley area could no longer be neglected, and managed to get a niggardly appropriation which would not have built a mile of decent mountain road, and his district had three challenging mountain ranges to cross. With this appropriation, he was expected to care for a mileage four times greater than that of the west side, and was thus responsible for not only eastern approaches, but maintenance of 150 miles of road from Darwin, all roads in the valley, and those which furnish the north and south approaches. He managed to get $5,000 after two years. With this, he procured road machinery on a rental basis and succeeded in making a fair desert road. Then he began a one-man crusade to exploit Death Valley as a tourist attraction. We need only roads a tourist can travel. He worked just as diligently for all of Inyo's roads. We have one of the world's best vacation lands, he told the Westsiders. You have an abundance of beautiful lakes and streams in a setting of mountains impressive as any in the world. On our side, we offer the appeal of the Panamint, the Funeral Range, and spectacular Death Valley. Tourists will come to both of us if we give them a chance, and they will be our best crop. By 1926, his crusade for roads had spread beyond Inyo County lines. San Bernardino County, through which passes Highway 66, a main transcontinental artery, joins Inyo on the south. Its Board of Supervisors was in session one day when Brown strode in. Most of them he knew. He wanted their advice, he told them. Your county and mine need more roads to bring more people. The easiest way into Death Valley is through your county from Baker. The distance from Baker to the Inyo County line is 45 miles. If you will build a road to the Inyo line, I will build it from that point to Furnace Creek, 71 miles. Such a road would open Death Valley to the public, and the tourists who will travel will spend enough money in your towns to pay your share of the cost. San Bernardino supervisors agreed to consider it, but were not enthusiastic. One of America's largest counties, San Bernardino had also one of its largest road problems. Brown kept plugging, arranging meetings, convincing residents that the county's portion of the road would be over flat country and over roads already passable, and its construction inexpensive. Finally, San Bernardino County supervisors agreed, and by April 1929, he had 71 miles of passable road. The result was that Death Valley was no longer remote as the Congo, and tourists began to come. To Shoshone, it meant a few more windshields to wipe, a few more cars to crawl under. Another soft answer to frame for the sightseer cursing the desolation. Another shed for the store that started on the kitchen table. 
1932, Brown went before the State Highway Commission and urged that all the roads he had built in Death Valley be taken over by the state. The law was passed. Death Valley became a national monument February 11, 1933, by order of President Franklin Roosevelt. At that time, America was groping its way through depression, worrying about its dinner and its debts as a result of the stock market crash of 1929. In the nation's hobo jungles, the seasoned Bindle staff made room for the newcomer who had always lived on the right side of the tracks. Freight trains carried a new kind of bum when the adolescent female crawled into a car alongside an adolescent male, vainly seeking work anywhere at anything. To save them and others like them, CCC camps were organized, and one of these, recruited largely from New York City's Bowery, was sent to Death Valley with headquarters at Cow Creek, a few miles north of Furnace Creek Inn. The new park was under the supervision of Colonel John R. White, later superintendent of the entire national park system, and to Ray Goodwin, assistant superintendent, was assigned the task of building additional roads and trails to points of interest to connect with the state system, which Brown had built. Then began in earnest the flow of tourist traffic to the godforsaken hole for which Brown had worked for 14 long and difficult years. But he soon found that to the problem of a small desert community, he had added those of a whole county. They were the aftermath of what has since been called in a marvelous understatement by Murrow Mayo, historian of Los Angeles, the rape of Owens Valley. In the early part of the century, the city of Los Angeles had secretly acquired nearly all sources of water in Inyo and Mono counties. An amazed world applauded the engineering feat by which water was siphoned over mountain ranges to flow through ditches and tunnels a distance of 259 miles. The enterprise was announced by its promoters as the answer to the desperate need for water. It is now known that this need was only a mask to hide a scheme to make Los Angeles pay the cost of bringing water to 108,000 acres of waterless land in San Fernando Valley so that the owners could make a profit of $100 million through its subdivision and sale. This they did. The shameful story glorifies by comparison the cattle wars of the early West when one side hired its Billy the Kids to kill off the other, the only difference being that in the Owens Valley feud, the Billy the Kids were the big names of Los Angeles who used unscrupulous politicians and laws cunningly passed instead of six-guns. As a consequence, Los Angeles owns the towns, ranches, and cattle ranches, so that merchants, householders, ranchers, and renters have no title, except in a relatively few instances, to the land upon which they live or to the house or store they occupy. Los Angeles could sell or lease or refuse to sell or lease land to cattlemen, homes to residents, or stores to merchants, and sell or refuse to sell water to those who had lived all their lives and would die on the devastated land. As a result, the relations between the city and the displaced persons of the two counties were those of victor and vanquished. In 1935, the city succeeded in getting an act passed by the legislature, which prevented any town from becoming incorporated without the consent of 60% of the property owners. The purpose of the act seemed fair enough when it was announced that it was designed to save the towns from both political demagogues and crackpots running amuck in California, and it became a law. 
but there was more than the eye could see its real objective had been to strengthen the stranglehold of the los angeles water and power board upon owens valley since it owned the towns it could now prevent their incorporation there had been some feeling of security under a resolution of the water and power board which had declared that merchants cattlemen and residents all of them lessees would be given preference in new leases and renewals of old ones in 1942, the resolution became a scrap of paper, and ranchers, cattlemen, and householders were advised that their leases would hereafter be renewed by a method of secret bidding. Thus, the residents of Owens Valley learned that the labor of years had brought no security. As one beaten old-timer told me, we've been kicked around so much I'm used to it. I helped blow those ditches two three times to turn that water loose on the desert. I know when I'm licked. Resentment in Mono County, which provided more of the water taken by Los Angeles than Inyo, was even more aroused, and smoldering hatreds were ready again to blow up a ditch. The two counties constitute the 28th Senatorial District. Brown's success in the Assembly had not gone unnoticed in the neighboring county of Mono. We need that fellow Brown, a prominent citizen said, and others repeated it again charlie put his suitcase in his car filled the tank we've never had anybody from this side at sacramento he told a friend standing by i'm running for the senate know anybody up there i'm going and get acquainted he said and headed across the valley most of mono county is isolated by the high sierras again the door-to-door -door technique no torches no brass bands just the old eye-to-eye -eye, talk it over system as always, he let the voter do the talking, and he listened, but when he slid into his car, the voter was ready to tell his neighbor, I like that fella. Doesn't claim to know it all. He told his banker, his grocer, his butcher, baker, and barber. Result? I was in the Senate chamber at Sacramento later, when I heard one of a group of men huddled nearby say, This is an important bill that concerns everybody on the east side of the Sierras. We better see Charlie. I nudged the man, reading a document at my side. Those fellows want to see you, Senator. He had received the nomination of both the Democratic and Republican parties, and had secured the passage of an act which denies a municipality holding more than 50% of the property of another subdivision of the state, proprietary power over the security and stability of such subdivision. Moreover, he was on the All-Powerful Rules Committee, the Fish and Game, Local Government, Natural Resources, Social Welfare, and Election Committees, friend and frequent advisor of Governor Warren. Honeymooning Secretary Ix was combining business with pleasure when he reached California, and wanting to see how his park system was functioning, he took his bride to see Death Valley. Besides, he had some plans affecting the Inyo area. The fight was having tough sledding in the legislature, despite President Roosevelt's approval. Then he talked to the people less biased. You'd better see Charlie. Who the hell's Charlie? He asked Harold, senator from Death Valley. With Ray Goodwin, superintendent of the Death Valley Monument, to guide him, he was taken to all the show places. Now, said Mr. Ix, I want to see Brown. At Shoshone, Charlie's toggery is strictly for work, which includes tending the gas pump, stove repairing, plumbing, and what have you. He was flat on his back under the dripping oil of a bulky car when Mr. Goodwin stepped from the limousine. Charlie, Mr. Goodwin called, Mr. Ix is here to see you. 
Receiving no answer, he walked over to the car and added that Mr. X was in a hurry. Still no answer. It's Secretary X, Department of the Interior. This is important. So's this, Brown grunted. When he'd finished, he crawled out and, wiping the grime from his hands, joined Goodwin at the waiting car. After being introduced to the bride and the self-styled old curmudgeon, the latter explained his plan to add certain lands in Charlie's district to the Forest Service. You're opposing me. You're a Democrat, aren't you? I came from Georgia, Charlie drawled. You're for Roosevelt, aren't you? Within reason, Charlie answered. Then Mr. X, with the assurance of the perfectionist, began to sell his idea. Do you know of any reason why the area designated as Forest Reserve should not be protected as any other of our natural resources? He concluded. Just one, Charlie said. What's that? X snapped. Your forest is nearly all brushland without a tree on it big enough to shade a lizard. Charlie was similarly dressed when a well-tailored and impatient tourist with a carload of friends, whom he was evidently trying to impress, drove up for gas. Always unhurried, Charlie came to the pumps, slowly reached for the hose, and as lazily checked the oil. "'Say, fella,' the tourist barked, "'Senator Brown is a friend of mine. Get a move on or you'll be looking for a job.' Without the flicker of an eyelid, Charlie quickened, jumped for a cleaning rag, and briskly polished the windshield. When he brought the tourist change, he apologized for his slowness and begged him not to report it to Senator Brown. Jobs are hard to get, and I have a wife and ten children to support. Touched with remorse, the tourist looked at the change. Just give it to the kids and forget it. When the Pacific Coast Borax Company built its swanky Furnace Creek Inn on the western slope of the Funeral Range, overlooking Death Valley, it began to look about for places that would give the most spectacular and comprehensive view of the big sink as a means of entertaining guests, and far enough away to keep them from boredom. All the old-timers who had wandered over the ranges were called in. Each suggested the place that had impressed him more than others. Each of these places was visited, and after weeks of deliberation, a spot on Chloride Cliff toward the northern end of Death Valley was chosen, and the big wigs started back to Los Angeles. When they stopped at Shoshone for gas and water, Clarence Razor, an engineer of the company, was still thinking of the chosen site, and asked Brown, long his friend, if he knew of any view of the valley better than the one at Chloride Cliff. I don't pay much attention to scenery, he told Razor. To me, it's just desert or mountain. But I know one view that made me stop and look. Kind of got me. The chances are most folks would rave over it. Could you find it? Sure could. Razor called the others, repeated Charlie's story, and added, You're in a hurry, but knowing Charlie as I do, I believe we'd better turn around and go back if he'll guide us. Charlie agreed. It was a long, torturous climb, even to the base of the peak. There, Charlie went ahead and then beckoned them. Holding to bushes, they walked or crawled to stand beside him, took one look, and caught their breath. A mile below them lay the awesome sink. White salt beds spread like a shroud over its silent desolation. Billowed dunes, gold against the dark of lava rock. Here a pasteled hill, there a brooding canyon, beyond the colorful panament under the golden glow of the sun. This is the place, they said. You can tell em too, said Charlie, pointing, that right down there is Copper Canyon. If such stuff interests them, they can see the footprints of the camels and elephants and a lot of historic junk like that. 
so you who thrill at dante's view may thank charles brown of shoshone when first elected to the senate his colleagues were quick to see the qualities that had appealed to voters when they elected him supervisor he had frequently been before that body in his fight for roads and tax reforms they knew too that better schools for all rural areas either wholly or largely were the result of his efforts and soon he was on the rules committee a place usually assigned to those who come from the more populous districts of the state because its five members through its power to appoint all standing and special committees largely decides what legislation reaches the governor in 1950, Brown announced his candidacy for re-election under the state law that enables a candidate to seek the nomination of two parties. The slot machine had been outlawed in California by the previous legislature, and Brown had been largely instrumental in securing the passage of the law. Since the slot machine is a $3 billion business in the nation, the gamblers opposed him as part of a general plan to secure repeal of the law and reinstate the one-armed bandits. Since Mono County adjoins Nevada, gambling interests of that state contributed without stint to retire Brown to private life. He had been in office for 25 years and opposed by this powerful group, guided by both brains and cunning, the odds apparently were against him. While the opposition boasted that he was through, Brown was calling at cabins in the hills and gulches, meeting friends on busy village streets, and again when the vote was counted, it was discovered that voters have memories. He had won the nomination of both the Democratic and Republican parties by almost two to one, and under the law was re-elected. Due to his priority standing and the retirement of older senators, the big fellow who walked 150 miles to get a job at Greenwater in order to save the fare to eat on, automatically shares with two men the power to control the legislation of the state. Hell, like gold, is where you find it, either in people or places. A lady of wealth and aristocratic background en route to Furnace Creek's luxury inn stopped at Shoshone for gas. Worn out by the long drive over the corduroy road, she looked about her and then at Charlie in greasy overalls. How on earth, she asked in genuine distress, do you make a living in this godforsaken hole? Oh, it's hard, ma'am, Charlie said gloomily, but we get a few pennies from tourists, a little flour from mesquite beans, and stay alive one way or another, hoping to get out. The gracious lady opened her purse, thrust a five-dollar bill into Charlie's hand, and went her way. It really made her happy, Charlie chuckled, and I just didn't have the heart to give it back. What is it that man wants of these godforsaken holes on the desert? I sought the answer one day when Shoshone was having a holiday. George Ishmael, as native as an Indian, was chosen to barbecue the steer. A well-to-do tourist begged the job of digging the big pit want to flex my muscles. Another cut the wood. At a depth of four feet, water was struck and rose a foot over the bottom. Oh, that's all right, George said. He tossed a dozen railroad ties into the hole, floated them into position, covered them with dirt, built the fire, lowered the carcass of the steer, covered it with green leaves, and filled the hole. An unforgettable feast agreed the scores who had come from places a hundred miles away. Sitting beside me was a prominent Los Angeles attorney, eminent in the councils of the Democratic Party in both state and nations. Why, he asked, will a man wear himself out in the city when he can really live in a little place like this? 
i thought of suicide at first said patsy young matron with three healthy little stair steps my husband said for heaven's sake go out for a month and have a good time i went back in a week a vermont girl said she had come to escape a straight-laced code that constantly reminded her sin was everywhere here i've got an even break with the devil all had found something that clicked with something inside of them which challenged something in civilization maybe it was expressed in the dogma of the tennessee judge reared in the hill country of the cumberland river as he stepped from his plane on his annual vacation he was cornered by a reporter judge you're ninety-four years old what do you think of this modern world best one i know about no criticism none whatever maybe a few minor changes just now we are being educated out of common sense into ignorance laud out of patriotism taxed into poverty doctored to death and preached to hell End of chapter twenty one